Hey, YDKMers, Veeps here. I'm sure you've noticed that we have made some small improvements in terms of quality lately, and we're looking to make some more. The only problem that we're really having is a lack of sponsors, but I'm very interested in keeping the show ad-free for you guys. So if you want to throw a few dollars our way to help us kind of keep the lights on here and keep the show moving forward, we would really appreciate that. You can donate really easily on the site. It's ydkmpodcast.com, and there's a big donate button right there. Now enough of all that money talk. On to today's show. But you don't know me. Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to You Don't Know Me, a podcast about people you don't know. I'm your host, Veeps, and today we have a brand new guest on the show. We have the Bear Man. Hello. (laughs) This is going to be a doozy of an episode. We have a very interesting character here. The Bear Man um, has earned that name. We'll say that. (laughs) Between some interesting hobbies and some interesting jobs in your life, you're probably one of the most interesting people I've met. So um, to give a little bit of an outline of the things we're going to talk about today, Bearman here is really big in the reenactment scene. That's right. You are also an ordained minister. Mm-hmm. You've worked in a funeral home as an embalmer. Right. Um, you hunt with your bare hands, not using any traditional weaponry. Um, maybe not bare hands. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you hunt using not guns. Right. <laughs> we'll say that. No modern weaponry. <laughs> um, and believe it or not, we actually met through something that you wouldn't expect. <laughs> he comes to us from Tinder as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about this. Being such an interesting individual, um, obviously, this is not going to be a Tinder-focused episode. I just find it really intriguing that that's how we came across you. So what is your Tinder brand? Walk us through kind of what your Tinder profile looks like. Tinder profile? Um, How do you represent yourself? Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the first picture is probably from when I did a photo shoot for our reenactment group. Yeah. So you have whitewash in my hair, which is a quick lime and salt mixture. So my hair is bleached white. Mm Mm-hmm. blue face paint on and swirls and I'm wearing chainmail bear skin and yeah yeah it's pretty epic <laughs> um I definitely saw that and was like huh interesting <laughs> um and then what is your do you know what your bio says in there I can't remember I don't even know <laughs> if I have something that says anything in there <laughs> you might not need to because your pictures are interesting enough <laughs> Um, yeah, definitely wearing a bearskin cloak, a lot of that, a lot of reenactment pictures, um, very like Viking looking with the long, <laughs> long hair and big beard and the whole nine yards. So interesting individual. Um, but yeah, so that's actually how you found the show. What kind of piqued your interest? What made you say, okay, podcast, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> that's my viewpoint on a lot of things. What, what's the worst that could happen? I mean... Why not? Yeah. Why not? I mean, I'm not going to get horribly maimed or anything, so... Well, you know, maybe emotionally, but... Okay, that's okay. I, I can deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> I can deal with that a little bit. <laughs> so, before we launch into, you know, your life story fully, tell me, where are you from and where do your parents live? Um, I'm from Loganville, Georgia, so kind of where the inbred still kind of breed. Uh- <laughs> Sorry to any Loganville listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, my parents, okay, uh, my mom and stepdad live over in Swanee, mm. and then my dad and stepmom live in Costa Rica now. Oh. We just helped them move over there probably two weeks ago. I'm jealous. I want to move to Costa Rica. You're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it was beautiful. <laughs> they got such a wonderful deal. Oh, I know. I've heard it's so cheap to retire out there, but... Cheap to retire, and uh, they got... They had jobs lined up that were perfect for them, that Mm. it doesn't even feel like work over there. Oh, that's awesome. It's amazing. (laughs) So, yes, I'm here for that. I want that. Um, But, yeah, that's really cool. So let's get started here. We're going to go kind of chronologically, since you've got a lot of things here that are pretty diverse. (laughs) And you mentioned to me that the reenacting hobby started when you were pretty young, right? Right. Probably 
16 years old is when I started. Mm-hmm. One of my friends that just moved into town, he was in a, a LARP group, which was called Omtgard. And I joined up with them. That's a mouthful. Try to say that five times fast. Omtgard, <laughs> Omtgard. <laughs> but theirs was a lot of, you know, including magic. And it was very, I enjoyed it at first until it became less intense, where they said, no physical contact outside of your weapon. And mm. I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> After about two years, I said, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And I joined up with SCA for a while. And when I hit 18. So I, what is SCA? SCA, it stands for Society for Creative Anachronism. And it's a pretty much, I, I want to view it as a true reenactment where they say you, when you join, you decide what area and what era you want to fight as. Mm. And you can't blend cultures together. It has to be that specific culture. So you're going completely into it. And, okay, the fighting is a lot of fun. You have to wear armor because they use rattan wood as their weapon. Mm. And headshots are perfectly legal. So they say, you know, armor in certain areas so you don't, well, die. <laughs> Or get severely injured, yeah. Severely injured, that's true. Has anybody gotten injured, like, severely? An SCA? Yes. <laughs> I'm sure of it. It's a, all over the U.S. I mean, they have everything from small skirmishes, which are about 30 people, to all-out wars, which could equal into almost 1,000 people there. Wow. So I'm sure they've had at some point some major injury, you know, broken bones, yeah. ruptured colons or something from getting hit in a spot where... It's just sensitive. <laughs> wow. Um, a little sensitive. <laughs> so what is your era? What is your, where do you focus? I focus mainly uh, first century BC Britain, which would be right after Boudicca's rebellion when she got crushed by the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things I used to do a lot of studying in that era of just the Roman expansion. And over time, I enjoyed more learning about the quote-unquote barbarians of the area, where they were actually very civilized. They yeah. weren't as barbaric. A lot of it was propaganda, which works great when, when you're trying to wage war and conquer a land. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that doesn't happen, you know? Seems to work wonders. So. Yeah. But that just always kind of drew me into it. So it kind of helps that some of my ancestors are from that area mm-hmm. where I can look back all the way to... King Henry VIII to uh, the Norman Conquest my family was at. Mm. It's kind of interesting to find out we came from royalty and now look where we're at. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody fucked up. (laughs) At some point, someone said, we don't need the money. (laughs) (laughs) Just... Fair enough. Now, by both sides, it started off as jesters, so I don't know how high up that is. <laughs> is that for real? Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. King, King Henry VIII, his jester, was actually one of my ancestors. And we don't share the same name anymore. So, mm. uh, William Somers, and he was known for like, the jester at that time wasn't exactly like the guy in Motley just telling jokes. He could also was the only one that could tell the king to stop being such a wuss and smack him around, tell him to be act like a king. Mm. There you go. King Henry VIII had some major depression issues. <laughs> oh. Despite all the wives, he had some major depression issues. Wow. <laughs> well, he was an asshole, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. He had to have something back emotionally, right? So. <laughs> Uh, interesting that is really interesting so i could see like is this a family thing or was it just something Um, that you got into my family is interested in it but i think i just took it a step further by going i want to reenact a lot of that stuff so i start off where i was always interested as a kid i was interested in pirates and then kind of when i hit teenager it was into the knights and then it went further back and further back till Mm -hmm. i'm going First century BC. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you landed. And that's where I landed. Where I'm, I either do that or Viking Age. So mm-hmm. anywhere from 800 AD to 1066. Mm-hmm. And that's the one I probably have the most outfit for. Mm-hmm. Just because I started early with that. I got a helm, which I'm still looking at getting a better one. <laughs> but the chain mail, I've made myself a tunic, the pants. Mm. 
the only thing is I haven't made the shoes because that just takes too much effort for me right now. <laughs> Fair enough. And when you say make, what are you using to make them? Uh, the tunic, it's usually linen and then a wool outer tunic. So mm -hmm. linen wool. So it, it does get expensive. And I've learned coupons are probably my best friend at this point. <laughs> um, I never one, imagined getting a coupon just to buy wool. But... <laughs> I, I mean, you go to Joanne's fabric store and yeah. some of that stuff, wool can get almost up to $30 a yard. Yeah, that's true. I need a discount for that. Yeah, no, I can imagine. <laughs> or it's cheaper to buy it at that point. Mm -hmm. But like for that, I'll use wool. For the pants, I've used wool. Um, a lot of the time is just learn finding. You can, It's hard to find an actual what is it called? A pattern for it. So mm -hmm. you just find things where they say, here's you measure this area and then you're going to cut out a bunch of pieces and then sew them together. Got it. And so you're kind of having to makeshift, put it together. There's not like... Kind of. I, it's the same way they would have made it in the old days, but I'll use a sewing machine. <laughs> Cheating a little bit. <laughs> Cheating a little bit, but I'll, just a straight line that would take me maybe, you know, 30 minutes to hand sew compared to 10 seconds. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. I would use, uh, yeah. <laughs> I do have that mentality of the microwave mentality. I want it now. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. So you've been doing this since you were 16 mm -hmm. um, in various aspects, uh, right. which is really cool. And somewhere along the line, you mentioned that you also became, well, <laughs> you started working in a funeral home. That's right. Did this have anything to do with the reenacting? Like, how did you Not end up? <laughs> I was in high school and I just, I've always had like this morbid curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I decided that was probably the best and most legal way to fill that curiosity. And what do you mean? Like, what, what were you curious about? Just everything about the death had just, it interested me in mm -hmm. a weird way where, I wanted to learn more about it. In high school, I was reading books up on everything from executions and mm -hmm. then maybe not so much death, but like how to put it um, advanced interrogation. <laughs> I think okay. they would call it nowadays. Yeah, so more like war, still war exactly. related. Still war related. So yeah. it still had some to do with it. And to tell you the truth, the way I got a job was I went and filled out an application just like any other job. Yeah, I went up enough. to a funeral home and I said, I want to start working here. What can I do? And they said, here's an application. So I guess I'm kind of interested because obviously like dealing with death in that way is going to be very different than, than like maybe where your interests were. So what, how did those parallel? Like <laughs> what were you hoping to learn? Um, well, I had already looked up a lot of what an embalmer or a funeral director would do. Mm-hmm. And some of it did start pulling forward into the reenacting. For instance, one of the process of embalming is you take, it's called a trocar. It's a long hollow needle about, I want to think, I want to say about a half inch in diameter. Mm -hmm. And you have to puncture all the organs with that. So I kind of learned how much pressure it takes to puncture someone. <laughs> <laughs> which helped out with the reenacting because <laughs> instead of like me taking a hit that would in real life, it wasn't that hard of a hit, but they want you to take it. I'm like, mm -hmm. no, I need you to hit me harder. Cause I know for a fact you would have maybe poked a tiny hole in me, but you wouldn't have gone even two inches inside of me. <laughs> mm. Oh, so, got it. So like to make it more real, make yeah. it more real. I want to feel a harder hit. Yeah. So. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I'm having a, like, this is just very out of my depth, <laughs> but, you know, whatever, man, okay. that's like to each their own. Um, but no, I mean, I think I, I, it sounds like from what you briefly told me about this, that this was mm -hmm. a big part of your life and maybe you learned things that you weren't quite expecting to learn from it. Um, so <laughs> I know that embalmer is like one of the titles that you had, but the other one, which is a little mm -hmm. bit more sad. Um, the other one, uh, basically I... Whenever a infant died or anyone from about 12 years and younger mm -hmm. was one I really were, was good at actually working on. And I'll bet, you know, I would work anywhere. Normally a body would take about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. 
this I would take at least four hours on because mm. they want an open casket and they're always, most infants are autopsied, especially if it's SIDS because doctors want to know why this happened. They Yeah. That's why it's called sudden infant death syndrome. They have no clue. Baby just stopped breathing. Yeah. So that makes it a little bit more difficult to. But in that, I mean, you're playing, kind of playing an important role in mm-hmm. kind of the grieving process or exactly. also the scientific process of making sure that things like that don't happen. It gives the family one a one last mental image, and you want that to be a good one. You don't want the last one to be when they last saw the child, which was probably blue and not, <laughs> yeah. you know, didn't look alive. At least we can make that look still. Yeah, no, to so, give peace. Exactly. Yeah. Helps them a little bit more. <laughs> I can see you laughing, but I think it's partially because you feel really awkward right now. <laughs> it's it, it's always nervousness. <laughs> Whenever I'm nervous, I laugh. So. <laughs> so you're like, this is really dark. And, uh... I didn't like working with the live families because of that reason, because I'll start chuckling at times I should. Oh, my God. I didn't. I didn't work with families because I went ahead and told the owner, I was like, I will laugh. And this... That is not the right time oh, to do God. it. Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, see, I know you're not creepy, but that sounds really creepy, okay? <laughs> I mean, it, it does sound disturbing and creepy, but it's like, have you ever known somebody who laughs when they're nervous? Oh, yeah. 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 So imagine that situation. Yeah. <laughs> it would be so hard for me not to chuckle at times when I really should not chuckle. Oh, just to break the tension. Exactly. Yeah. And that's not the time to do that. That is not the right way to break the tension. No, no. And so. Okay, so they had you behind closed doors. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but, I mean, did you ever feel like there was, like, purpose behind what you were doing? I mean... I think there was, because kind of with earlier, with it gives them that last image of, you know, this is because we would have people that have died from cancer, and it would be a long, slow process. Mm-hmm. They would get very emaciated to where their cheeks have thinned out and we can kind of give them that fuller look again so give them that life back yeah. exactly so mm-hmm. maybe they don't look as rough as they did before the end and mm-hmm. yeah that gives a lot a lot of people it makes them feel better mm-hmm. now but i did have one family <laughs> there's always one where they gave us a photo we always ask for a photo of them a recent photo they gave me one of them back in 82 oh i was like i'm not a miracle I can't do I'm in if I could do this I'm in the wrong profession (laughs) I need to take a plastic surgery if that's the case (laughs) how did you guys navigate that uh well we I first of all told the director we need a more recent photo I yeah I can try but it's not going to be anywhere near the only issue I had was later on is some of the friends of the family were saying well they don't look like the photo they used the same photo from 82 for all the other things they had uh, anyone realize this was two over two decades ago <laughs> oh, i can't do that oh god <laughs> <laughs> i'm laughing just because that's like of course i'm in the back room just chuckling away going i can't do that so whatever the family understands they fully understood yeah. friends of the family meh i didn't know the person i'm like i'm more worried about the family in general, yeah. are they happy? That's the key thing. Yeah, yeah. It's for them. It's for the grieving process, yeah. Exactly. Crazy. Like, I <laughs> I seriously cannot even imagine. Like, I will say that I think I'm a stereotypical, you know, American, and I don't deal with death. Like, I just, we just don't. Really? As a society, I really feel like we, we kind of don't really we, deal with it. I remember in college they had mentioned we are in a death-free generation where People could live all the way up to 20 and not experience anyone in their family dying. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was weird because I experienced my first one. I was in fourth grade and it was my grandmother who passed away. Yeah. And I got to see everything because my parent, my dad at least thought it was very important for me to kind of start grasping that, that mm-hmm. there is a limit. There is a limit to this. And, you know, you're young. You think you're immortal. Well, you're not. <laughs> yeah. But with that and just learning that finding out people can go 20 years without experiencing one i'm like i've experienced by the time i hit 20 i probably experienced about four people i knew die now it didn't help that i was also in a band that had a lot of older people in it yeah <laughs> like in their mid 60s was like the top rank so some of them were starting to have some issues mm-hmm. but 
that kind of got me used to it too. Got it. Well, and you were in a you were in a what? I was in a okay. I forgot to mention this earlier. Yeah. I was in a bagpipe band. For a <laughs> <while>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <'Cause, yeah. laughs> Sorry. Just because apparently just that's normal enough that I don't mention it. <laughs> so tell me more about the bagpipe band with all only old people in it <laughs> no wonder you are fascinated and morbid you're only around old people <laughs> okay um well let's see that started that started thanks to my father mm -hmm. uh, it was after my parents divorce and my dad didn't really know what to do and we said well take up a hobby take up something new you know and I was told, I said, pick up an instrument you always want to try. And well, he decided on bagpipes. He's, so your dad decided. <laughs> he decided on that. <laughs> so we understand where you get your unique traits from. <laughs> I, I We've always said I'm a test tube baby. So I'm, I have no other genetics from my mom's side. It's all my dad. Yeah. So we've just decided that. I look exactly like him. It's I know what I'm going to look like when I hit 65 now. Oh. <laughs> exactly what i'm gonna look like but um he got into the band first and then six months later mind you i had just joined the middle school band six months later i joined that band then so i started playing Did you also them. play the bagpipe in middle school no uh as much as the director wanted me to he couldn't find any music that would work with it <laughs> And the fact it would take me about at least a year before I got up on the bagpipes, the full yeah. bagpipe. Yeah. So it it was a lot of fun. I stuck with band in school until my second year of high school, and then I stopped. What did you play? Uh, the saxophone, the alto okay. saxophone. And that was so much fun. Middle school, I'm still friends with my middle school band teacher. Mm -hmm. And then in high school, we were so competitive. Like, mm-hmm. We, you got there, okay, we would have band camp two weeks before pra two weeks before school started. So mm -hmm. we started at that point in July mm -hmm. and you would get there at sunrise. Mm -hmm. You would, from sunrise to about 1130, you would be just memorizing the music, mm -hmm. have a 30 minute lunch break. Then you're out in the sun the rest of the day till sunset. Mm -hmm. You would have quick, we called them grab and goes. You had enough time to run to your water chug a little bit and then run back that's mm -hmm. all the time you had if you were late or if you forgot your dot book which was just a book that said where you were at certain times you would have we called it akt which mm -hmm. at the end of practice you would form up in a square you would march 10 paces forward left back right forward for however much time you needed the punishment at 200 beats per minute <laughs> that's rough <laughs> We planned on getting first place, and if we didn't, we planned on, like, ambushing the people who did and stealing their trophy. We were fanatical about it. <laughs> I mean, we had people where you would not stop marching until you almost had heat stroke. So uh, we were competitive, just yeah. a little bit. Just, <laughs> just a little, a little competitive. competitive. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I can see all of these things leading up to you. <laughs> The fight scenes, you know. <laughs> it helped. It definitely helped. <laughs> okay. Um, so you were in a bagpipe band. Right. Because <laughs> that's normal. Like yeah. I said, that's With... something I forget to mention. Oh, man. That's funny. So somewhere down the line here. So after, you know, high school, you were working the funeral home. And then mm -hmm. um, when did you stop working there? I stopped working there probably about, okay, let's see. Two years at that place. I've been here for a little over a year. So I want to say about four years ago, mm -hmm. I stopped working there. And it was mainly because the, the main funeral home I worked at, they shut down. It mm. just less and less business. There was reasons behind it, but I won't go into that. Mm -hmm. And when they closed down, the general manager gave me a choice. He said, you could either work at one of our other two locations at 12 hours a week for $10 an hour. Or you can quit or we'll just let you go. Mm -hmm. And considering how it was over an hour drive to those other two locations. Yeah, not worth it. And for 12 hours a week, four hours a day, not worth it. Yeah. That's <laughs> I said, just lay me off. Let me go. I'll find something else. Yeah. 
that was also after the funeral home that I originally worked at got bought out by a corporation. So interesting. There are there is a corporate funeral home out there. <laughs> interesting. So, <laughs> it makes sense. It does. I mean, there's a corporate for anything, so why not for that? And most people don't even realize it. You've probably passed by this one plenty of times. Mm. And I'm nervous to say which one it is because of legality issues with no, them. No, don't. Don't. Yeah, I yeah. want it. <laughs> but is it just like one major corporation that owns a lot of them? One major one across the whole U.S. Wow. Yeah. it's That's kind of interesting. It's big. I mean. Who knew? There is a funeral home monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Yeah. They are a major one. And it all comes down to who the general manager is mm -hmm. determines how good the funeral home is. So some of them care about that base dollar that's mm -hmm. what they mainly care about and those are the ones that usually don't last all mm -hmm. the ones that go we want to help the family where if the family goes here's our budget i go now this doesn't mean to sound horrible but i go here is our jewish section so a jewish <laughs> a jewish section no because they have certain things they have to have as a religion oh okay so, so it's for religious reasons exactly okay. <laughs> exactly no <laughs> i wasn't i was like more. jesus <laughs> No, oh, if that's the gosh. case, I'll go with the Scottish side, which my dad taught me, which was to look at something and instead of go, I can find a cheaper price, it's to go, no, I can make that for cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> so for that, it's like an, a Jewish section, which is usually all wooden, no metal in it because they want yeah, because everything. Yeah, religious. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll lead the family over there to say, this is less expensive because of the material involved. It's simpler. It's exactly. More, yeah. It's a little bit more down to earth is the way i like yeah. to compare to this bronze i never thought casket. about that but that's yeah so but i think maybe i'm in the editing just so you know i might lean away from that because it kind of came out and i know what you mean now but oh, like it, it sounds <laughs> it sounds bad um i didn't know how to put it really yeah. to be honest with you <laughs> that's a hard thing that's a hard line to walk um but yeah so Interesting. You have different sections based on like religious affiliations mm -hmm. um, for basically different religious needs. I never right. thought about that. Like, Well, not completely. It's just we would have certain groups. Mm -hmm. Like most religions usually can accept the same thing. So we don't go with them. It's only about one or two that mm -hmm. say they need something different and special. And we're normally willing to accommodate that. Yeah. Because, I mean... You got to stay in business. Let's face facts. <laughs> no, absolutely. So keep the family happy. You stay in business. Yeah. And I, I actually read this really, really interesting article about this woman in New York who was fundamentally trying to like change our perception of death. And mm -hmm. she's doing so in really unique ways by like her funeral services are just very unique. Like I know for like um, for infant or children um, mm -hmm. coffins, she actually would put biodegradable they're oh, made really? out of biodegradable material with seeds in them so that the flowers oh, will wow. grow out of. Oh, that it. would be so nice. Um, there was, and there was a lot of other things that she did. Um, she would come in home to do services mm -hmm. because it would allow okay. people to really deal with the death organically. Mm -hmm. Like we would have normally, um, like Originally you said, like, have done, it would have been done at the person's home, not at a funeral home or a church. It would have been kept there. Mm, exactly. Um, and that's something that's fundamentally changed in our society very recently. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that until I was reading this this article about this woman who's basically on this like campaign to kind of help people deal with that in a more actually deal with it as opposed to hiding it away or not exactly. facing it um, as our society doesn't really have a place for it organically. Grief is something you really need to work through. Like mm -hmm. it's I have one friend and he's still grieving over his mother and it's been over a year now. And it's like, you need to go ahead and accept this instead of just putting it off, putting it off. Mm -hmm. And I know some people feel like if you're the man, you need to be strong. It's like this situation, no, break down crying. It's okay. You have to process if it. If anyone judges you, slap them. <laughs> yeah. It's perfectly then be okay. A man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> slap them. It's just... <laughs> It's like, it's a grieving process and everyone has to go through it. And it's more for me, like personally, for the times I have grieved, I found it a lot easier to hit it as strong as I can. And it doesn't seem to last as long. It hurts more, but I'm over it a lot quicker and doesn't affect me that badly. Mm -hmm. Instead of stretching it out, stretching it out. And you'll notice over time where you do start getting depressed or it's just you're not as interested in things as you used to be. Mm -hmm. And that's where 
sometimes you just haven't allowed to let things go anymore. Yeah. So yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so this is the death podcast. <laughs> <laughs> podcast about death. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, I, I think that's really interesting and I think it's a conversation that is not common. Um, so one of the reasons that kind of piqued my interest about this is just your perception of it is very unique, I think. Um, which I, I don't think in the grand scheme of humanity it's that unique. That I just think unique? in a modern society it's very unique. <laughs> Where a you lot know? of people just, they've never experienced it. Mm-hmm. Um, 20 years people will go without experience. And, and for me that's baffling <laughs> that how many people are in your family and none of them? Like have you never been able to witness like – I know some people won't let their kids go look at the casket Mm -hmm. and, or, you know, they'll say things. And I learned this in college. I didn't realize how bad it is to say this, just to say, Oh, well, grandma's sleeping. That's terrible to say, because the kid might process, some kids have processed it as if I go to sleep, I might end up there. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) And kids can handle it, handle those things a lot better than most people realize. They can bounce. I mean, I bounced back pretty quickly from my grandmother's funeral and mm-hmm. I was brought to all of that. I mean, not only to the funeral, but also to planning the funeral. Mm-hmm. I was brought in on that. So to me, I think that helped out a lot. And I don't know, that might explain where I am now <laughs> <laughs> or the fact that I was the Grim Reaper for like four years in a row as a kid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Somehow my mom's still shocked I went into the funeral business. There were signs. <laughs> there were signs. There were definitely signs. <laughs> okay. And to jump to a co- totally opposite extreme here, you went from the funeral home to becoming an ordained minister. Right. <laughs> Which was actually at about the same time. Interesting. So I was 18 and I found out you can get legally ordained online mm-hmm. by one group. Is it okay if I mention them? Okay. Uh, sure, why not, right? What are they? Uh, it's the Universal Life Church. Okay. And they don't believe in a, like, it doesn't matter your denomination, what your religion is, they will help you with that. Mm. So I went with them because they said, oh, well, you don't need to go to school to get a license. You don't need to do all that. You don't have to do two or three years. Usually that's to to get to know your religion better. Mm-hmm. So they said, if you want it, Sure, we'll do it for free. The only thing we'll charge is if you want a physical copy of it. But your name is now in the system. Mm. So I said, sure, sign me up. <laughs> and so what did you have to – was there anything that you had to learn to, to be able to do it? Not a thing. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody can get ordained. It's really easy. Okay. It's literally just signing up for it. Okay. Interesting. And- for um, me, it was also because friends were, they were wanting to get married, but they didn't want to do it at a church or just do a yeah. a wedding at a uh, a court. They wanted their own. Something one. intimate. Exactly. And I said, sure, I'll get myself ordained and we'll do it. Why not? If you want it religious, we can do it that way. If you don't want it religious, I can do it that way. I got, mm-hmm. I now have like a whole book where it's different ways I can do it now for people. Interesting. So, so what are the, some of the types of marriages you've ordained um the most i've done is just completely non-religious where they secular exactly and they don't want they just they want to get married all their friends there so what are those what do those typically sound like i mean i for me i just imagine when i think of a minister i think of someone who says something about join these two together and it's a lot of that same thing but we don't mention any sort of deity or any of that. It's all about the couple that are getting together. And, you know, if I can and find sort of the contract. Yeah, exactly. If I can find something personal about them that I can bring up to help out, I'll do that, too. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, the last wedding was a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that much. They were great people. Mm-hmm. Great people. Just <laughs> it was just secular. I mean, not just that, but some of the things they were like, we want to do this. And I went. I've never done that, but sure, let's do that. Why not? Can you give an example without? <laughs> oh, sure, definitely. Okay. But uh, one of them was where it was it didn't even have anything to do with me at the beginning of it. It was just where they were big into karaoke, and one of them, that was their job, was they went around and helped out with the karaoke. They were a DJ, basically. <laughs> and they decided on a for the groom to sing a song while everyone's coming out, and it was waiting on a woman. <laughs> 
<laughs> which kind of was appropriate because she was late <laughs> and that did make him a little worried <laughs> that's funny so that you know that was pretty good i i really enjoyed that yeah and that was also kind of interesting because I've gotten to know that family really well because I married his son first before he got married. Oh, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> but it's like one of those things where I've always told people, you know, there's some people ask, like, they really wanted to pay me. And I was like, I just don't feel for Good something like that. that. Yeah. And so instead they went, here's a bottle, uh, a bottle of mead and... You can have all the food you want to eat at yeah. the reception. So for me, that's plenty right there just because I get yeah. to know the family a lot more. And I it's more personal then. Mm -hmm. To me, that means a lot more than any sort of payment. I have another friend that is also ordained, um, but they pretty much only do like uh, friends, like mm -hmm. same similar kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So it makes it a lot more inter interesting and it also makes it a lot more personal. Mm -hmm. which to me means all the difference right there. Totally. Very cool. So you went from the funeral home to being an ordained minister. Right. <laughs> Doing a lot of good in the community there. <laughs> um, but the big thing that I was kind of interested in, and I think it was the first thing that we talked about, was <laughs> one of your other big hobbies. Um, you're a very big hunter. And not necessarily mm -hmm. in the traditional sense, like right. we mentioned before, you're not big on conventional weapons. Right. So tell me a little bit about that <laughs> mentality, kind of where this started for you. Um, well, let's go ahead and say I don't agree with yep. using a gun, mm -hmm. with hunting, just something. Guns in general, I I feel like, okay, this once again, it doesn't feel personal. That's <laughs> I fair. feel like somebody yeah. can shoot something from 300 yards away and there's nothing to that. There doesn't seem to be any fair chance for the animal mm -hmm. i mean i'll bet if you're hunting a deer there's not much of a fair chance in the first place it's not like it's <laughs> going to charge you <laughs> that's true yeah but i feel like using smaller more old-fashioned weapons even bow hunting like i'm all for that just get rid of all the bells and whistles you have on that bow so for instance i own a bow and it's there's no pulleys on it it's mm -hmm. you pull that bow back it's all the force and you got to hold it mm-hmm um, for the main one I know you're thinking of is when I decided to try going hunting for a bear and I didn't use a gun. I didn't use a bow. I decided I'm going to use a spear on this one. A spear. Okay. <laughs> so, so paint the picture of what, what do you mean by a spear? <laughs> it's, <clears throat> it's a ash pole, which is just a really decent type of wood. And then it has a metal, a metal spearhead on the end. <laughs> or and did you make it? Or I didn't make that one. I actually purchased that one. Okay. And the main reason I purchased it, one of my friends worked at the place where they sell them. Mm -hmm. And he said, this is probably your best one you can do, use. So I decided, okay, I'll buy it. It was relatively inexpensive, only about $30. Mm -hmm. I affixed it to just a pine shaft at first and I decided to test it and okay instead of jumping right into what i tested on i went to a friend's house who had a beaten up old junk car in the backyard okay and i threw it at that and it punctured through the car door wow so instead of me just jumping in and saying i punctured a friend's car door <laughs> <laughs> so i should probably give a little bit on that one. <laughs> some context for that yeah i'm not that much of a psychopath so. <laughs> close but not there <laughs> close not all i'm working my way up slowly but surely great <laughs> i'm just kidding but so I, I decided on that and i went ahead and took the spearhead off of that one and then fixed it to an ash pole which by the way if you're looking for ash wood anywhere it's really hard to find that around the south mm. like you're gonna have have to probably order it from up north because we just have beetles that love that and half the time they can't cure it before then oh so got it if you get it from the south it's going to be a lot more expensive now <laughs> go figure so um, but what's the benefit of that uh ash is it may not be as strong as oak but it has more flexibility to it and it's not as weak as pine mm. so it has that nice middle ground to it Plus, ash was, okay, here's the historical side. <laughs> ash was a huge 
Ash and you were big up in Britain at that. Well, it's still big in Britain at that time. So for me, I decided I wanted to go still more that historical route of using the right type of wood. And while mm. you would be used for things like bows that you would have to really flex a lot, mm -hmm. ash was used a lot more for spears and pole arms because they could handle a lot more of the flex and also the amount of power behind a hit. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> so is there a big market for that? I mean, for, for spears, do people still buy that a lot? Not a lot. <laughs> I will be honest. Uh, some... A lot of companies that still sell things like that are usually not only selling spears, but selling all of the medieval weapons. Mm -hmm. And they'll sell all over the U.S., over to Europe, and into South America. So it's one of those things where if someone wants to get into it, they either have to be really good and get their name out there quickly, or you got to be with a company that's already well-established. Got it. So... I'm looking at various things now to purchase and I realized with a lot of my old purchases when I was a teenager and really on a budget, mm -hmm. I was spending, you know, hundreds, I kid you not, hundreds of dollars less than what I should have for not just accuracy, but durability too. Mm. And I will admit, is it, it is an expensive hobby. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Go figure on that one. <laughs> Big surprise. <laughs> Unless you decide I'll make it myself, which... I've only done that with a few things. Mm -hmm. Chainmail, which is just a metal, it's a shirt that's made out of thousands of metal rings. Mm -hmm. And I did that once. And it wasn't a historical style. I just don't have the patience for that. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would include a lot more, like, just so much more time to actually do the way they did it. And yeah. I just, I can't do that. <laughs> Is there like a particular brand that you like swear by that does a lot of this stuff? Um, probably the main one would be Deepika. And they have been so far probably, they are more expensive. Like before where I bought a helmet from one group that only charged $100, they might charge up to 250 mm -hmm. But it's also a higher gauge metal, so it can handle a lot more and it's more historically accurate. While still having the bonuses of modern day technology of making it even better cool so, still the same shape same everything but maybe a better quality. way of tempering it exactly yeah. better quality because let's face facts i mean i don't want to buy a sword that i know will break at some point in half when i need it <laughs> like some of the swords back did back in the iron age <laughs> interesting and i believe it i mean or i thought that was just a tv thing but you know no i mean <laughs> It could happen at times. It wasn't all that common, but like we found ways to affix axe heads to shafts to where they won't fly off, which mm. was even all the way up to 1066 was a common thing. The way they would make an axe head, it could at some point loosen. And then while you're swinging it up, it goes flying up. And you no longer have a weapon. Exactly. You got a stick now, which <laughs> it could still work, but it's a lot more work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even modern day axes, I know my dad, he was chopping wood one day and he swung the axe up, axe head came off, flew straight up in the air. He just kind of huddled there, came back down on the blunt end, thank goodness, hits him in the back of the head. Oh my God. And my aunt, knowing the way she is, she's laughing and helping him out because in her mind, she sees everything as a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> That's also really terrifying, though. <laughs> Be careful with your axes. <laughs> exactly. Just if you see it coming off the top, just as weird as it sounds, take a hammer, turn it upside down and hit the bottom of the handle and it'll pull the axe head up. Mm. Physics. I still don't understand it, but it works. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of this, it sounds like you have kind of a fascination. I mean, obviously, the thread here is fascination <laughs> with medieval history and weaponry. Right. <laughs> um, so bring us more into hunting. And how hunting, long have right. you been a big hunter? What are some of your biggest conquests other than <laughs> the one that we talked about? I mean, the bear has been by far the biggest conquest because mm -hmm. I wasn't in like a deer stand where you're off the ground. I'm on I'm on the dirt going, if I miss this throw, 
this thing could either run away or it could charge me. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, the bear's probably going to win, unlike in most modern, <laughs> modern, you know, movies where they show the bear where, you know, you might take it down with, you know, a sword or a hand axe. I'm like, the chances of that are slim because it's just going to tackle you and then maul you. Mm-hmm. And my biggest worry isn't really dying. It's being just completely mauled and not useful for the rest of my life at that point. Yeah, I so can see that. So that's where I'm going. Death isn't exactly the worst thing, worst scenario there, <laughs> depending on your viewpoint. But I, but also why? Just why? Why a bear? Um, what? Like, is that legal? <laughs> it is legal. Uh, you get a normal hunting license and you go during bear season. So there's a bear season. There is a bear season. And then also I went during the, there's different types of seasons. So like you got gun season, then you also got primitive season. Where you can use bows, spears, things like that. Interesting. <laughs> they don't want those two to conflict, basically, because with the spear or the bow, you have to get a lot closer than the gun. Yeah. Also, you want to be a lot more sober than some of the people using the gun, because I've known plenty of friends who go hunting and they sit up in a deer stand and just drink a bunch of beer. Hence why you have to wear that orange vest now. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> So if you see an area that says, you know, this is a hunting area, stay out of it. (laughs) Please stay. Yeah, especially now that I know that they're drinking. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if that's, I don't think that's legal to do. but it cannot be legal. (laughs) There's no way that that's legal. At the same time, it's hard to, for people to regulate that. I mean, outside of ruining hunting completely by someone marching around there, you know, loudly going, are you drinking? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So needless to say, I always tell people, if you're going to go hunting, make sure you get the licenses, get the orange vest, because while sure, yeah, that animal might be colorblind and can't see that orange vest and you don't like it. It's for other hunters. <laughs> they see that bright fluorescent orange and they're not going to shoot you. then. <laughs> yeah. A lot less likely to do so. Exactly. Fair enough. <laughs> so it was bear season. It's primitive right. hunting bear season specifically. <laughs> And you go, you know, my life's not really that important. So (laughs) that sums up actually a good bit of where I said, why not? The worst that happens is I die. Okay, cool. (laughs) I just, I can't. (laughs) I'm either going to die or I'm going to have some really good bragging rights. Yeah. Or PETA is going to hate me. Well, yeah. They hate me anyway. Okay, cool. (laughs) Already lost that battle. Yeah, I lost that when I started using wool, so. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but, um, so tell me more about this. I want to know, start to finish the bear story. Okay. Um, well, as you know, you can't put out certain types of traps, like a normal bear trap. Most people think of that clamps around its leg. That's, as weird as it sounds, that's inhumane to do. Mm-hmm. And I will agree with that. That is, unless you're living, like, trying to survive that way in which case i'm all for it because that's going to be your main source of food now but for me since it's i'm not only going to eat that animal it's kind of is also for sport Mm -hmm. so none of that but one of the things you can do is um i don't know have you gone camping a lot yes okay so you know lure them with food right exactly you you know how normally you would take your food and tie it up Mm -hmm. put it up in a tree and kind of hold it up there so a bear can't get to it you do that. <laughs> and the plus is, is normally some people want to hit the side of the bear, which for me, sure, that's great. But I also wanted to use the skin for other things. Yeah. So what I wanted, I wanted the bear to stand up. Mm-hmm. And with the food hanging up high, it makes it a lot easier to do. Mm-hmm. So at that point is I'm hiding or trying my best to hide. Okay, I was stupid. I was not wearing an orange vest. So I'm happy I didn't get shot. <laughs> yeah note to self you are not above doing that safety precaution yeah (laughs) but so i'm just trying to hide keep myself as low as possible and my spear is lying in the ground which i now know is too heavy for that sort of thing like i could have been further away if i used a lighter one Mm -hmm. but so after a certain amount of time which as if you talk to any hunter it's a lot of just 90 percent of it is just waiting and Mm -hmm. bored out of your mind you can't i see why they drink now (laughs) (laughs) on second thought on second thought that makes sense yeah but uh 
after a while, after a few hours, a bear finally comes up. And as you can imagine, it smells the food. I was lucky. I was kind of off at a distance from it, opposite side. And when the bear starts noticing the food, it starts, you know, you can kind of see what it's doing. You can see it looking up a lot, kind of starting to rise up. And that's where you come out from where your little hidey hole is behind a tree looking like terrified little rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) And as soon as the bear stood up, I rolled around the tree, threw it, threw the spear, and it hits it in kind of the stomach area. Mm Mm-hmm. And it started running off, which I was very thankful for that it ran away from me. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't have much of a secondary use at that point. (laughs) So (laughs) it ran off and it died at about, I want to say about 50 to 60 yards away, which as some people will think that's horrible, but that's very common for an animal to run about Mm -hmm. that far. Yep. With deer, the same. Yeah. Okay. Or, well, I think de- deer will run. Like deer can run a lot further, yeah, a lot actually, faster than a yeah. bear. So yeah, that's true. But they they run like the you're deer never... was a different story with the spear though. So okay, and you killed a deer with a spear as well. I start. I worked my way up. Interesting. <laughs> it, hunting wasn't my first time with the bear. So yeah, that's fair. But then just okay. At least when I got to the bear, it was dead. Compared to the deer, where it just. The spear I have is considered like a very heavy spear. It's based off the Greek hoplite spear. Mm -hmm. So it's meant to go through armor and all of that. And with the deer, it just pinned it to the ground. So note to self to most hunters, if you decide to go bow hunting, a spear will do a lot more. Uh, It will keep it there. Uh, Yeah. So. But do you also have to kill the animal when you get there? Yes. Which is with the deer to me is a lot more terrifying because when I got to the bear, it had bled out and it had died by the time I got there. Mm With the deer, it's still flailing around and you got to kill it. So with that, you usually use a knife mm-hmm. and <laughs> you usually, you'll cut its throat. Mm-hmm. And my viewpoint is you want to go as deep as you can because you don't want it to suffer anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, the positive I see about hunting for food, which, by the way, venison is amazing, <laughs> mm-hmm. but is... When you have, like, when you go off and buy beef at a grocery store... That's an animal that's been in captivity all its life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a worst case scenario. It's been inside of a factory all its life when it comes to like chickens. Mm-hmm. It's in a cage all its life. While with a deer or the bear, it's lived all of its life free and maybe 10 seconds of fear, mm-hmm. which is no different than any other. Like if a wolf were to bring down a deer, it still has that fear. Mm-hmm. And I'm also not eating it alive. So... <laughs> yeah like a wolf would yeah that's fair (laughs) so um and i think i think what you're doing is controversial you know it is but it is and i will say that as a previous vegetarian for a long time (laughs) um but i do come from a long line of like hunters in my family as well Mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of one of those weird things to navigate and i i feel like what you're doing is much more barbaric but i'm not gonna lie it's a lot more old-fashioned but at the same time with a gun I feel like it costs you it. more to do that as a person than to shoot something. Mm-hmm. So I, in a way, like it's more noble, even though I, it's not necessary. <laughs> None of it is. Right. I feel like, you know, hunting in, in general, and this is just my personal opinion. So mm-hmm. just representing the other side that I'm sure you hear exactly. a lot. Like none of this is necessary, but if you're going to do it, you know. My viewpoint is if someone's going to go hunting, they don't need to do it just for sport. Yeah. You need to use as much of that animal as possible, which with the deer, I've used the skin, the antlers, bones, everything. Even the sinew on the muscles I've used now. Mm -hmm. So, What do you use all of that for? uh, The sinew, I've learned, works great when you're working with leather, which is actually what they used to do back in the medieval era. They Mm. would use that for you would punch a hole in something and then to lace it together, you would use animal sinew. Mm. So my viewpoint has always been, you need to use as much of that animal as physically possible. Got it. So if that means, <laughs> if you make like a deer haggis, basically, <laughs> then do it if it's possible. Yeah. So. That's fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so what are our like, okay, interesting. So you use like the sinew for that and the skin, obviously mm-hmm. you're using to make leather and. Exactly. Cool. Um, what about for the bear? The bear, I have used like 
The skull has been for decoration, mm -hmm. naturally. So uh, the skin I've you've learned has either I've used it as a blanket mm -hmm. when I go camping or I'll wear it as kind of part of the reenacting. Mm -hmm. And for the rest of it, you know, the meat, a lot of the muscle I used as food because that fed me for a couple of weeks right there. Mm -hmm. And then for certain bones, I had learned from other reenactors that you can actually chip away at and turn into a needle to use for sewing. Mm. So when I say everything can be used on an animal, you really can use everything. It's, mm -hmm. I will admit, I disagree with sport hunting completely. So those people that are going out to like Africa and hunting certain animals that I'm like, why are you doing that? What's mm -hmm. the point behind it? Besides you can say you killed an elephant. Yeah. First of all, you used a gun from how far away and you had no danger to yourself. At least give the animal a fair chance of killing you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then don't let anyone else hunt down the animal. I already have that. Like I put down in a, okay, when I was 17, I had my will all set out. <laughs> <laughs> You're such an interesting individual. <laughs> Continue. But one of the things was, was like, if I died during a hunting expedition, I don't want people to try and think they need to kill that animal because mm -hmm. of that. Because the, I know in some zoos, if an animal hurts yeah. someone, just Harambe. hurts someone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That they need to kill the animal. Or I've seen where, you know, the Yellow River Game Ranch, where they've had to put out a sign that says, if you, if, you know, if like if this fox scratches you, they have to put the animal down. Mm -hmm. And I disagree with that completely. Where for me, I'm like, if a bear kills me, let it eat me. Just, I'm done. <laughs> I... Let the animal, you know, let me just biodegrade out there. It won. Let it do its thing. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. And I struggle to understand with the principle behind like killing an animal that hurts a human when, exactly, especially if we're in, it, we're in its habitat, like mm -hmm. that is its nature. It's kind of like, why, why is that a surprise? <laughs> it's you know? did what its natural instincts were. Yeah. You know, at a zoo, if somebody is messing with an animal it's naturally gonna attack you so what do you expect if anything did you learn your lesson okay don't do that again <laughs> leave well, the animal where it's at so you would think and then i mean i, I get part of that's like liability i'm sure like an animal mm -hmm. that's d like actively dangerous to humans would be hard to keep it in cage it's also hard to re-release exactly you know? i, I mean and i get i get it but i also <laughs> don't get it because like we're holding it's, an animal a wild animal in captivity it's like what do you expect <laughs> yeah it's it did what its natural instincts were when zoos make me very uncomfortable i can understand that i just think the whole principle of it kind of makes me uncomfortable like, the only one i really liked was the yellow river game ranch for a long time because certain animals like the deer there they had allowed to just roam free they could walk right up to you mm -hmm. and they had to stop that not for legality of the, you know, the people, but for the safety of the animal, because mm -hmm. they found some people would go in there and they would abuse the animals, mm. which, okay, they are lucky I wasn't there because I would have hit that person. Yeah. Like, you don't hit an animal like that that doesn't, I mean, and most of theirs, theirs are usually injured animals, too, that they take in. Mm. So it's like you. What's it called? A Yellow River Game Ranch. Yellow River Game Ranch. Mm -hmm. Where is that? Uh, Lilburn Stone Mountain area, just off of Highway 78. Awesome. And they're really good. I am I know some people, when they first go there, they don't seem to always like it because they say the animals don't look good. I'm like, well, that's because they've accepted a lot of animals that were injured. So, you know, they try to heal them up and they realize, hey, you can release them back into the wild. They will. But if not, you just keep them. Yeah. Which. And just take care of them. Exactly. I think it's amazing. Yeah. No, I'm definitely going to put that in the show notes. If you're interested in checking it out, since it is so close and, you know, it's in the Atlanta area, that definitely sounds like a cool thing to do. That would be something I would be interested in going to, not necessarily like a zoo. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like I said, it. I'm really if interested. If I had known you like, earlier, I would have said go there while the deer were still roaming around and, you know, you could yeah. hold one, which is amazing when you can hold up a little doe, you Aww. know? So. <laughs> What? I, I don't know how far I should go with this next statement. <laughs> what? Um, I have been tempted because they have little lambs there is to dress up as somebody and carry a lamb around. <laughs> 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 I'm sure you can guess why, right? <laughs> uh, 
Aww. trim the beard back a little bit, and I think that would be a bigger hit than Easter Bunny. So, oh geez, <laughs> for reference, he has very very long brown hair and a very large beard. <laughs> I have a nickname where I work. Let's just say that certain nickname. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. If you ever get a chance, definitely go there. It's totally worth it. I yeah, mean, it's not a large area, but just the fact for what they do. And mm-hmm. I've also had like a bunch of ducks follow me at one point, which was awesome. So <laughs> Aww. I was like, I am the mother duck. Follow me. <laughs> I am the mother duck. <laughs> I feel like that should be your title. <laughs> like, I am the mother duck. It uh, might be. I'm going to have to get a shirt that says that. <laughs> you know, I really want to do YDKM like swag merchandise <laughs> with like quotes from our show. That could be a good one. <laughs> Um, oh man, what do we call it? Booze Witch was another one because the witchcraft up. <laughs> we all want to get shirts that say Booze Witch. Oh, I would get that. There, would there are like totally... lots of different kinds of like quote unquote witches. Like we have, um, you know, you've got like a kitchen witch and all this stuff. And I was like, can I just be a Booze Witch? And she was like, absolutely. <laughs> so that's the other one. I am Which the mother the duck. Best way to cook, by the way, is when you've been drinking. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah it makes everything taste good really good even when it's not exactly um, but yeah so that's really interesting so what are i mean what else like i know you've got some other stories here so what are some other things that you want to talk about oh god with the reenacting my first time <laughs> oh geez that i cried like a little bitch i'm not gonna lie so not the first time larping but yeah right, with the actual full-on reenacting we had a I went over to the group and they said, okay, well, we're doing this huge event. Just show up for that and we'll get you with a minimum amount of armor and, you know, a sword and a shield and we'll go from there. I said, okay, cool. That's great. That sounds awesome. You know, I'm 18. I feel like I'm immortal. I can do anything. So (laughs) I show up on that day. They're like, okay, here you go. They fitted me out, you know, felt all right. You know, they made sure certain areas weren't going to get hit. That would be vital so (laughs) they said okay here's the plan here's your sword and shield stick with these people over here yeah and don't go near the pole arms which were just like poles with a axe head on it you know they were made out of this for us they're made out of like a really dense sort of foam Mm -hmm. wrapped in duct tape uh imagine a boogie board that really dense foam it's that that's it and let me tell you that stuff hurts but (laughs) they had He said, okay, so when we say lay on, which is the way they say start or fight, just stick with your group and try your best to survive. And if you die, fall over and just look like you're dead. I was like, okay, cool. I can do this. I ended up separated from a group. And next (laughs) thing I know, I see a polearm toppling towards me. It hits me at about where the collarbone is. Yeah. I fell to the ground. There was no acting. I was crying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no acting whatsoever. I was like, I am going to die. <laughs> I feel. I later on found that I severely bruised my collarbone <laughs> from yeah. that hit. But oh my god, sad part is I remembered that, and afterwards, after like a week, when I felt better, it's <laughs> like I want to do that again. <laughs> I didn't learn my punishment. <laughs> I yeah. didn't learn my lesson at all. Yeah. I decided I'm a glutton for punishment at that point. I said, eh, if it hurts, it hurts. <laughs> and that was only the beginning. <laughs> Only the beginning. <laughs> Do you have any other like epic experiences from over the years? Um, not too many that are like long stories, but just small. Because a lot of those are usually quick instances where maybe a battle might last 10 minutes tops. Mm-hmm. But I had one where a guy, this was with a LARP group. And, you know, I'm not wearing any armor with that one. And almost outside of the face, any other shot is legal. Mm-hmm. And one guy, he was using, it was a spear probably about eight feet long. And I didn't see him. (laughs) He hit me in the crotch so hard. Oh, God. I didn't feel it there. I felt it in my butt. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Like, it was a kill shot. And I stood there dazed. And he's like, I'm so sorry. Because, okay, you know, it's a legal shot. But you you still feel bad when you hit someone there. It doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, "It's, it's, it's okay. I don't feel the pain right now. I'm just walking around like, what happened? It's like someone hit me in the butt instead. <laughs> How did... 
I'm walking away confused more than anything. To this day, I still have never been hit that hard there before. Oh, ouch. in most LARP groups, that area is a perfectly legal target area. So you learn early on to block that. Yeah, (laughs) You decide a torso, like a stomach, or even a bladder shot is better. Yeah. As long as you don't have a full bladder. One of my friends learned that. (laughs) Oh, God. I hit him. Okay, I was using a spear. (laughs) There's a thing going on here, I've realized, but I was using a spear and I was trying to work around his defenses and he got distracted by someone else and I hit him just above the crotch in the bladder. He falls to the ground. I'm like, are you okay? Because I'm thinking I hit him lower and he goes, yeah, I'm fine. And he stands up and goes, I really got to pee now. (laughs) And he goes running into the woods because that's the closest area he could get to. Oh God. (laughs) Oh, rough. It was... (laughs) genitals and urine that you know that that's where it we're makes at sense. Right now. <laughs> it makes sense when you think about it. get hit in the bladder and it goes i'm done doing my job now <laughs> everything I goes i'm done i quit exactly <laughs> all right that's awesome well i think that's pretty much it i think that's a good time to wrap up what do you think <laughs> that that seems like a good time now yeah <laughs> only a little bit of a cringe at the end <laughs> so really interesting stories here can say I, I think you've had a really unique life um so far interested to see what's next for you <laughs> we'll see we'll see i'm not 100 sure yet <laughs> i'm your host veeps and i'm the bear man and you've just learned the beginning of me <laughs> If you loved what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. Now, we do have some extra material today in the show notes, so be sure to head over to ydkmpodcast.com to check those out. Also, we are at ydkmpodcast on all social media, and our website, once again, is ydkmpodcast.com. As usual, the music in this episode is courtesy of bensound.com. That's B-E-N-S-O-U-N-D.com.